Sure, Stanford. This is the Henry George program. I am Mark Molino. This is a program that talks about housing here in the Bay Area, economics, and many, many other subjects. Today on the program, we are talking to the opposition, as it were. We're talking to Michael Goldman of the Sunnyvale City Council. The story of how this came to be, we'll get to in a moment. Welcome, Michael. Welcome, Mark. Hi. Yeah, so uh, so we met each other uh, just the other week when I stopped by Sunnyvale City Council, right. and uh, I was speaking as to my personal disappointment with Sunnyvale uh, coming out against SB 827, and very nicely, both you and Mayor Hendricks and another councilman uh, came up to me afterwards. Gustav Larson. Yes, oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, wanted uh, just basically uh, to talk to me afterwards, and I, I felt that's actually uh, better service. I've got another, because <laughs> it's uh, I'm actually a resident here. But then afterwards, uh, you and I, we went down to uh, Denny's, and we spoke for a uh, better part of two hours mm-hmm. about, you know, kind of where we stand on housing and, you know, where we agree, where we differ. And uh, it was kind of a sprawling conversation about economics and the housing scene. And I said, oh, let's, you know, let's let's do this on the radio. So, yeah, thanks for coming down to the station. Oh, it's my honor. Um, as uh, if we learned anything from the last uh, presidential election, it's like there's no such thing as bad publicity. Just get my name right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess, I guess the thing that we basically – that. I guess that made me to kind of uh, come down is uh, the kind of I thought there wasn't really enough incentives for regional cooperation. And there's kind of, in my mind, an overall propensity for cities to not build enough housing. And I think that there is not enough housing. And I think housing is too expensive. And and that's when you uh, and I guess, first off, what is your response to people saying housing's too expensive here? Well, um you kids get off my lawn. Uh, the the uh, this is a very complex problem. Uh, I've been studying it actually for a couple of years. Uh, I've taught myself a lot of urban economics and got in, into uh, and some urban uh, geography. Uh, and uh, there's a couple of things working against uh, cheap housing in the Bay Area. One is high salaries. You know, the the um, housing may be expensive for you. I could not afford my current house, um, even at the peak of my career. Uh, but uh, someone can, or they, they wouldn't be paying it. Uh, I used to agree uh, with what you uh, said uh, once uh, in our con- earlier conversation about this is not sustainable, uh, that, yeah, there's got to be a collapse. This can't go on. And then I went to Vancouver. <laughs> and Vancouver, um, it's, uh, you know... Nice little family house with three million bucks. Now that's Canadian money, so it's not real money. But but uh, they come down here, uh, you know, and look at our, how cheap our housing is, and it it uh, it's gotten a, a, a kind of um, aura or myth or something, or maybe a reality that a lot of Chinese millionaires are going to uh, Vancouver buying up housing, and and that's jacking up the price. And there's some truth to that. Uh, we've we've got figures. Uh, Vancouver, uh, Vancouver had this uh, local program where they um, they said basically, if you loan the uh, uh, government like I don't know a million bucks or something, uh, and uh, you know d- form a business and do some transaction, then you know you get you're on a fast track to citizenship. So to, they they known they had the numbers: two hundred thousand uh, people came from Hong Kong or China, 
uh, and formed a company, uh, which did one thing. It bought a condo, and then uh, all but about 10% of them went back to China to make more money. Uh, so that presumably jacked up the price of housing. Uh, but um, the, uh, if you look at the broad, if you look at all of Canadian housing, uh, they, they had the same bubble that we had in uh going up to 2007, uh, we, we came back, you know, came back to earth and a lot of places uh, in, in the country have still not recovered to that 2007 peak. Uh, we did. Uh, we're back at it uh, and above, if you know, correct for inflation and all that. And the, um, uh, but Canada has kept going. Uh, the whole country. It's not just uh, Vancouver. It's Toronto, everyone else. Uh, and they're building like crazy. So, uh, you know, it, it, to, and this is in response to your, this is not sustainable. Yeah, but a lot of things that aren't sustainable, you know, you know, there's a saying in the stock market, the market can stay crazy longer than you can stay solvent. So don't bet against it. I would have thought this would have collapsed by now. Uh, but uh, I'm looking at this, and the more I look at it, the more I realize there are two things working against you if you want cheap housing here. One is simply geography. If uh, I've been uh, looking around on this, uh, the Bay Area, and if you draw it, uh, take San Francisco, beautiful city. I lived there for four years, love it dearly. I uh, would not want to change too much. I mean, there's some places where I say, yeah, you could build there. No one's going to miss that uh, that house or, or something. But uh, by and large, I really, I love the Golden Gate Park. I love the views. I love, you know, there. And even if I couldn't afford it, I would re really wouldn't want to change because it's a nice place. Uh, there's a, a, but if you draw a 25-mile uh, circle around uh, central uh, San Francisco, which is a small town. It's only 48 square miles, which is, for a rectangle, would be six by eight miles by eight miles, which is nothing. Uh, New York City is 305 square miles. Dallas is uh, 350, uh, L L uh, LA is almost 400, Houston's well over 400. So you're looking at this tiny little core city, which is world famous, but it's surrounded on three sides by water. That 25-mile circle you draw around it will go up to roughly San Rafael, out to 580 over on the other side of the Oakland Hills area, uh, and down to uh, roughly Palo Alto. Uh, and if you look at it on the map, the one thing that strikes you about that is most of that area encompassed by that circle is water. The next biggest uh, chunk is protected land, and it's protected for a good reason. You really don't want to build there. You could, you know, if you look at some of the hills in San Francisco, obviously you can build up. Uh, but um, besides the you know feeling of just like having some open space for the good of your soul for hiking and stuff, uh, it's fire territory. Um, it's going. Uh, we've had fires uh, in the uh, west western uh, states for uh, centuries, and it's getting worse. Uh, so y you have um, an area which is so constrained that you're, the quantity of land available is uh, simply so f too finite. And if you build up, you're paying this huge cost for elevators and steel construction and underground parking. And you want to say something? Yeah. So I guess the question is, when we have the scarce land like we do mm. in, in San Mateo County, Santa Clara County, you know, mm. right between two major cities, San Francisco mm. and San Jose, the question is, what should we decide to do with it? And I think for better or for worse, we've decided to largely zone this for single-family residences. And I guess a lot of people say this doesn't seem like the most logical thing to do with some of the most valuable, scarcest land in the world. Well, what do you say to people who say that? Okay. Um, that, that makes sense in a certain way, uh, except you, you have to look at the way cities are structured. And 
if you look at urban economics, which um, a lot of people do not, and they sh- uh, I, I was surprised. Uh, I, I looked for. Um, I've been going around looking at urban economics courses in universities to get their reading list and to find out what textbook they're using. And I couldn't find one in Stanford. I thought, well, okay, maybe it's in the geography department. There's some overlap there. Um, I couldn't find it at all. And then I found it. I looked at Berkeley. There is a course, and they have uh, kind of standard books. It's not required. You can get an economics. You can get a PhD in economics and never study urban economics, which is crazy because most people live in urbans, urban areas. So... um, as I look at it, what I find is that there's a well-known thing goes back to 1800s. Uh, von Thunen in Germany simply observed what what had happened, and what ha- happens is the central core of a city, the business district, uh, central business district uh, (CBD), it's typically abbreviated, uh, has a lot of competition. Everyone wants to be there. The, uh, the shopkeepers want to uh, be be as close as they can to where the customers are. Uh, the uh, people who are bringing in stuff uh, from outside, you know, uh, goods of some sort. Uh, uh, want to be there. Uh, and so you have a bidding process which, process which goes on. And the central part is going to be the most expensive because it's the most desired. And this holds true whether you look at Paris or uh, you know San Francisco or New York. Uh, Lower Manhattan is way more expensive than Upper Manhattan, which is more expensive than Bron- the Bronx and uh, on like that. And part of that is geography, is geometry. Uh, as you increase the radius... Uh, you, you double if you double the radius, you know, you go from you know, you know pi r squared for the central circle. If the radius is one, one mile, one one kilometer, what, whatever, one whatever, uh, and you double that to radius two, uh, the outer ring of you know between uh, will have three times the area of the inner circle. So you just have you know put the same number of people, you have one third the density, so land is one third as cheap. We don't have that. So what you have is a bidding process going on for the valuable land, and if you build up. There's a minimum cost to the building up. They won't do it. Uh, we, we've all, I've talked to builders, and so I've talked to planners who spent decades talking to builders, and they will not build uh, above five stories because it costs too much unless the rents get a certain uh, level. When that, So you have this kind of uh, chicken and egg thing of it, they won't build high unless the rents are really high, which is not what you want. So when they do build high, they're going to charge. It's going to be luxury because if they they have to pay four fifty a square foot just to put up the thing with elevators, extra elevators and, and pumps to get the water up and all that, uh, they're going to uh, they might as well put in a you know granite counter and marble bathroom because that's icing on the cake. It, you know, so you so you have this problem of like yeah you could build up you absolutely could but it wouldn't solve your problem of making it affordable because you can't build up affordably. Yeah, I think one thing we actually really agree on is the fact that Econ 101 ideas of supply and demand don't really exactly apply to the way housing runs insofar as it's not just the marginal cost of construction. Basically, because you're bidding on land, which is something which doesn't really have the normal ideas of supply and production going up and down, it's just just land. It's there. It's going to be there. It really sells for whatever people can get for it, which means that the future rents are capitalized into the land price, Mm. which I I think in general, uh, so if you were saying, oh, we need to densify and build up and up, the savings you can basically get on economies of scale are essentially eaten up with land prices, which I think sets me apart from a lot of people who feel zoning, up zoning is enough. I'd say unless you deal with land prices, you're never going to solve the housing the housing issue. I, I completely agree. Uh, it is nice to be in agreement. Um, 
I want to point out a couple of other things. Uh, we <laughs> we had a breakthrough with one of the urban planners. The urban planners um, for the cities, um, I talked with other city council people and like Los Altos and Palo Alto and, and uh, Cupertino. The urban planners all went to school and they want to plan urbans. That's what they that's what they got their masters in. And um, the primary, the, the one everyone studies, the quintessential city is New York City. Everyone, and every urban planner is thinking like, you know, Back in, you know, I took urban planning 203, and we studied how to make little neighborhoods like New York City has little neighborhoods. Well, New York City is a sui generis. There's one New York City in Western Hemisphere, and that is it. It is its own type of thing, and uh, everyone else is what they call a kind of multi, uh, you know, uh, multi, multi-centric uh, place. Like L.A. does have a central business district, and about a third of the um, offices our office workers are down there but there's a lot of little ones all over and that's why the traffic's so lousy and they can't get a decent bus system because uh with new york city lower manhattan is it everything goes in if i want to go from southern brooklyn due north to north to northern queens i have to go into manhattan and take a, a transfer and take a bus out it's actually faster to walk yeah. Uh, so, uh, but that works because New York City is it. There, there are literally a million uh, people, according to the census, that come into work in Lower Manha- in Manhattan every day. Uh, that doesn't work in LA. You have a business center here, a business job center there. You know, all over. So you have freeways going everywhere. There's eight or t- nine or ten lanes in each direction, and they're all clogged all the time. So that's what we're getting to without the benefit that LA has of this huge amount of land. To, to grow on, uh, L, you know, they they complain about rents there too. Uh, but you know, most people up here would look at their rents and go like, "Whoa, <laughs> that's cheap." Yeah, I mean, you talk about. I was looking at price of uh, uh, cost of living, uh, basically indexes for different areas, and I guess you talk about L.A. versus first SF and Sunnyvale. SF, uh, the index value is six hundred four. I mean, to compare, my hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, is sixty. So, like, I think I'm always going to be perpetually outraged because everything, <laughs> even even at most like you know not so crazy places, it's more than what I'm pegged to. But LA three fourteen, it's more than double uh, in in Sunnyvale seven fifty eight. New York City is actually closer to LA. I, I was talking with an urban planner about this, and uh, you know. Uh, it, Obviously, uh, man, Lower Manhattan didn't start off as a bunch of skyscrapers. There were a bunch of low-rise buildings with the first settlers. And um, I visited um, Lower Manhattan once with, uh, recently with uh, my family. And I was stunned. Uh, the uh, NYU is basically a big skyscraper. It's n- near the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, but if you walk across the street, there are these low-rise little townhouses that date back to pre-revolutionary times. And, what, and uh, there's like the dean of, I don't know... Uh, Human Resources or something, uh, and he's in an uh, office which has a little plaque saying Alexander Hamilton's office was here in you know seventeen ninety one or whatever. Uh, so uh, what happened is the demand for land at a at a, a desirable point got uh, higher and higher, and the only way you had this uh, the, the rents finally got high enough that it was worthwhile building up, and eventually you got elevators you could build up even higher. And I, uh, you know, the rest, and uh, it kept on going. And if, if this keeps on going, that same thing will happen to us. The problem uh, that we have is where, the, you know, the, if you look at the density of urban areas, the classical urban economics will show a really big spike. It's an exponential curve. If you put it in three dimensions, it looks like this kind of like giant spike coming out. So the reason New York has these really high buildings. 
uh, is because uh, uh, Staten Island doesn't, and, and, and Bronx uh, doesn't. They have you know, four-story. They have nice little single-family houses. There are no single-family house neighborhoods with front and backyards in Manhattan. But if you go to Brooklyn, yeah, it looks like parts of Palo Alto. Go out to even further where I was, I started high school in Long Island, and you know it's it's the suburbs. You know, and I, and this is okay. My my main frustration uh, in talking with people is, uh, they, you know, the California has grown so long and so fast for so so many decades. People, a lot of people cannot deal with the idea of it stabilizing. Like, you're from the Ohio. Uh, great. I, I went to college in Wisconsin, and, you know, I, went, uh, I got my undergraduate degree in, in Milwaukee and my graduate at Madison. And the um, Milwaukee, you know, peaked like most uh, eastern cities in the 1950s. Uh, so they're, you know, they're fine. You know, I, I could get a nice little studio apartment as a student and, you know, take the bus, and everything was great. Uh, uh, the city grew during a time when uh, transit. Uh, when not everyone had, most people did not have a car. So, the central business district is still pretty cool, and buses work because it's a center core with a radial uh, transit system. Uh, and I do not see how you can do that uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, I'm all for public transit. I, I rode BART for years; it was great. I took the bus. Uh, from, I lived in San Francisco. I would take, get on the bus, read the paper and walk, a bl- not even a block, like to my office. That's great. But the geography works against us. Well, I suppose one thing you have to add to that, too, is I guess the other things that stop a new New York City from being possible. New York City wasn't always New York City. As you say, it, it grew over time. And But I, I saw something in Manhattan. 40% of, of all buildings are now noncompliant with current zoning. So mm. you couldn't build that, even if you wanted to, for mm-hmm. a full 40% of everything. And, I mean, that tends to be one major thing that has affected the way cities are. When you put something with R1 zoning, if it's only single-family residents, you're kind of saying it's going to stay this way. Uh, Just one more point. You're talking about the uh, monocentric city. Uh, It's actually interesting. Someone plotted basically cost per square foot in the entire Bay Area, and it looks like a monocentric city. The, The center of it is in Palo Alto. Palo Alto is the priciest real estate in the Bay Area, which, based upon this, is the most logical place to really <laughs> add density. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I Well, okay. Uh, you might ask the Palo Altans about that. They just uh, passed. They have a um, uh, city ordinance, um, kind of a part of the plan, which says uh, you can't build faster. Uh, I mean, this is a governing, not uh, housing, but... Um, Offices. You can't build offices past a certain rate in the core area. And there's a, peti- a ballot petition, uh, you know, which looks like it will get on the uh, ballot, uh, run by a, a, organized by a former mayor, to say, extend it to the whole thing. We have too many jobs. It's probably the only part of the country that's saying we don't want. We want fewer jobs, and uh, you can you can convert office space to to housing. Um, they're doing it with in L.A. with. The old uh, uh, Getty Oil Company headquarters is a great big uh, thing in downtown. It's, it's uh, going to have really high ceilings and be uh, a lot of condos. Uh, and uh, there, there's a movement to do that because you can't get there. There's this one bridge, you know, Dumbarton Bridge, I think, across across there, two, uh, two lanes in each direction. Uh, there's 101, and there's Caltrain. And Caltrain is packed. I have... I was just uh, talking to someone, and we looked at the statistics. Uh, most of Caltrain's uh, trains are uh, in the morning uh, uh, rush hour and evening rush hour are 
um, over 120% capa uh, seating capacity, they have to turn away 80 bikers uh, a day who can't fit in, get on. They only have so much space for bikes. So you know, uh, now you can't run the trains any faster at the moment. They want to electrify it so that you can accelerate faster and stop faster and uh, run them closer. Uh, but uh, And that'll probably double the capacity, but it's not that much. When you look at the max boarding, I mean, this is where everyone has trouble. They say, oh, we can, everyone can take the train. Yeah, it sounds right. And then you look at the numbers. And right now, as I said, they're kind of maxed out for rush hour. And they're only like, I forget, I, don't quote me, I, but it's only like 40,000, 40, maybe 30,000 people at the at the busiest, which is SF uh, at, at Terminal End. Uh, that's nothing. You know, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of people coming into San Francisco every day to work. Uh, BART is also, they're talking about building an extra tunnel. And this is kind of the problem. It's like, yeah, you can build more, you can build higher. But their cost-benefit uh, starts to go towards the cost and, and less the benefit. It basically is the point of diminishing returns. And that's, and that's where we are. Uh, and there, if you look in um, urban geography, there's a um, very famous guy, William Alonzo, Argentinian-American uh, um, Harvard professor way, way back. And he wrote uh, in his thesis, one of those few th uh, PhD theses that actually becomes part of the literature, uh, basically, there's an optimal city. He he took the old uh, Van Thunen model for the central business district for a typical European city, which grew over the centuries, and m modernized it um, to uh, American-style uh, modern cities. And um, uh, he also talked about the optimal city size. There's some point at which everything's great, and if you grow any more, it gets worse. The parks get too crowded. Uh, the traffic gets too bad. Um, you know, and you, you end up with a city where, yeah, people live and they work, and that's about all you can say about it. And I don't, and, and so you end up with what economists call the utility, you know, and uh, utility is uh, kind of like the benefits. So the average person has a certain, um, you know, benefit. And economists uh, have trouble uh, describing this because they can't, can't monetize it. They can't ascribe a number to uh, how much uh, a park is worth to someone. Well, so you look at, uh, what are they willing to pay to be near a park? In New York, it's being next to Central Park gives you a big premium. And that's part of the utility. So uh, if at some point the utility, the, the sense of I like the city, I like being able to walk to the park, I like, you know, the park is, you know, I like being able to walk to the beach. That it's not too bad on the weekends driving over to see my friend. Uh, as I said, I love San Francisco. I lived there for four years. I took the bus every day to work. But if I wanted to go, uh, like, from north, uh, northern part of San Francisco where I lived to the southern part, it, I had to go down to – I had to take a bus to downtown San Francisco and then another one out to out there. It's a radial system, um, and it, it, it works uh, very well for one purpose. But everyone has to – you know, you need a car at some point. At some point, st things stop working like that. And you don't – you, you can't get any denser than New York City in America. It just doesn't happen. It can't happen. Uh, and uh, even there, you have this radial system where this transit system is part of it. And that's what that's the other frustration is that people talk about, we could build up. Yeah, you can. you got to get in and out. It's a whole ecosystem. It's a holistic. You have to take a holistic view of uh, how high can you build, how much does it cost, what are the amenities, like parks? Yeah, I mean, if you, there's only so much land for parks uh, unless you put, uh, you know, at some point, the parks don't become fun because there's just too many people, uh, like Coney Island, trying to find a spot on on the hot Saturday July, um, and uh, you know, and, and so 
there's a natural consequence. And I, all the urban planners I've talked to have the same thing. It's like, at some point, uh, this is self-regulating. The number of people who say, I can't stand this anymore. I am so out of here, honey. I got the transfer to Atlanta. Uh, will equal the number of people saying, bright lights, big city, yay, here I am. Uh, and, and then you're stable. And unfortunately, all the urban economists seem to agree that's not the optimal city size. You've gone past it, and that's, you, you, you know, but you can't stop it. You know. Yeah, I, I don't know that particular model, but it sounds very similar. I've, I've read a, a paper Joseph Stiglitz made in the 70s, which is also about a monocentric city mm. and basically about basically what people prefer to be in the city and how much it will, it will rent for. And the, the basic idea in a lot of these toy models is at a certain point, you're indifferent. You can be in the mm. center of the mm. city and you pay you know, for basically a denser place, mm. but you will either pay more in rent or you will basically lose in amenities. Mm. And as you go out, you save in rent, mm. but you pay more in transport costs. Mm. Exactly. And that's what we see here is people pay more in transfer, transport costs to, to commute into the cities. Yeah. And that's what you save by not being here. Exactly. And I suppose, yeah, I guess the thing that in practice it tends to not really fit these toy models is you expect every unit to kind of more or less equilibrate and in some place like Palo Alto, in this, in the, you know, in an area which is in the center of this costliness per square foot, we don't see that. The average home price here is two point seven million, uh, median home price in Palo Alto, and you would say, oh, this should, we should reach an equilibrium where this densifies, but you don't see that because it's basically illegal. I mean, it, it would be breaking the zoning laws. Well, and, yeah, but I mean, um, true. Uh, yes and no. Um, uh, yes, in that. Um, there are zoning laws, but the zoning laws are passed by the people who can afford it to yeah. be here. And they're saying, uh, I am willing to pay this extra money. To, you know, it's a trade. Everything's a trade-off. You're absolutely right. Hundred, you know, the classical uh, urban economics, urban geography. Uh, you get your trade-off is I get, uh, you know, I could. Um, what's on one of my blog posts? I have a, a house in East Islip where I, li- uh, you know, much nicer than I lived in, uh, roughly two thousand square foot. And it's uh, it was six hundred thousand plus a little uh, in you know last year, and the same size in Manhattan would be two or three million. Uh, if, for the same money, I could get an efficiency, four hundred uh, square foot efficiency in New York. So yeah, there's a trade-off, and uh, the trade-offs are dependent on the person. Some people, you know, have to be there because of business; they need to interact all the time, evenings with parties and socialize and everything. Others uh, just prefer it. They want to be, they don't care about space. They want to be within walking distance of Central Park and the museums and all that. Uh, and others say, I don't care about museums and I can see them once a year on Memorial Day. And otherwise I just want to have a nice backyard. So uh, if an America, Americans, um, there's a bunch of things going on here. One is Americans just like more space. That's just the way it is. Uh, if you go to Europe, uh, um, even uh, I, I have a friend of mine lived in uh, American, born in Ohio, also uh, lived in um, Germany for 20 years, and she said she never got over the feeling that she was cramped. You know, all the Germans are, yeah, this is a fine house. What's wrong? Uh, she's going like, oh, she just wanted to like break out the walls or something. Uh, so you, um, uh, so that's just a national, natural, national characteristic. But there's, you know, randomness. Eighty percent of Americans will prefer a single-family house, and they also want to walk to work. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and so when it comes push comes to shove and it's time to lay down their, their, their money, they will, they will make a decision. They will make a trade-off. They say, yeah, I really would like a single-family house with front and backyard all detached and everything, but 
I'm going to be a little closer to work, so I'll take it down us. And others will say, I will just put up with an hour commute. It's on the train. I don't mind. Or, you know, I, I drive, I carpool, or I drive, and I just don't listen to. I listen to podcasts like this. So, the, and in a, if we had 80% wanted to be in a condo, we would have different organized, differently organized cities than we do. But um, with 80% wanting a single family house, 10% willing to take a townhouse, uh, you know, you, you have the you have the mix we get. But, but you were saying earlier uh, the idea that who votes on zoning laws? The people who live in cities vote on right. zoning laws. I, I'd say one thing that comes to mind is the idea of a survivor survivorship bias. Mm-hmm. The idea that you see people who take risky behavior and everyone's successful, it's because mm-hmm. the people who don't, they die. And, right. you, and they can't <laughs> talk. There's something similar in the Bay Area. Who votes on preserving single-family homes? It's the people who can afford mm-hmm. to stay in it, either mm-hmm. due to they're loaded or right. they have privileges, such as Prop 13 benefits, mm. and they are the people who say, oh, yeah, let's keep it. It's good for me. And the people who can't, they either tend to, you know, either be living in different situations which are not as preferable. I have a friend here who's living in an RV in the side of the road for 18 months with his father. Uh, my girlfriend still lives with her folks, and, I mean, most of her, you know, high school, uh, you know, cohorts did very similar things. Uh, I mean, I personally live in a uh, 13 by 13 foot cube without a kitchen. Uh, And I mean, it's and I think many more people, most people that I know here at Stanford just leave instead of basically Mm. saying, I'm going to stay around and I'm going to change it to Mm. be more like the city I want. Mm. Instead, they are they are basically the people who just aren't spoken for in the zoning laws. Well, yeah. uh, And that's um, you get a kind of like. that's true. Uh, and I was thinking about this. You made that point uh, when we talked earlier, and, and it's a good point. Uh, I, I absolutely uh, agree that it is. But here's, here's this problem. Uh, I don't know if it's a problem, but here's the situation. Uh, you have people in Palo Alto, and they're happy. They like it. Uh, and they look at their street, and they say, if we put you know, 10-story uh, high-rise things, no one could move. You, know, you couldn't park. Uh, I would... Uh, yeah, I would have not be able to grow tomatoes because there'd, there'd be shadows from in my backyard because there'd be tomatoes. From, I mean, there'd be sorry, there'd be shadows from all these tall buildings, uh, and the parks would be really packed. And uh, uh, there's only so much space for parkland. So I'm going to say I don't want this because it would destroy my 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 quality of life. And that's that I'm willing to pay as a you know as a Palo Alto resident. I'm willing to pay uh, the increase um, in cost to have a house. To to preserve this, uh, and the other th- uh, and the uh, and so you have okay. Let's say let's say city, like in America there are ten million people that want to live in Palo Alto, and there's only I don't know I forget the number fifty forty thousand people in Palo Alto who say I don't want you to live in Palo Alto. Sounds very undemocratic. Well, what about the other three hundred and ten million Americans who are looking at this and say, well, I don't care about Palo Alto per se, but I want to be able to determine my own. Uh, characteristic. You know, if 10 million people decide they want to live in Akron, Ohio, and I happen to like the way it is right now, uh, I want to be able to say no. Uh, and it's not, a, you know, if it were saying, we don't like you because you're you're Chinese or because you have a French last name or something, that would be disgusting and we should forbid it. And we do, um, I hope. <laughs> uh, but if it's sim- simply saying, look, if you, if you move in here, if everyone moves in, that wants to moves in here, it'll change the character of it. And you know, it's kind of like a you or me. I like it the way it is. You want it to change. How do we decide? Well, we vote. I'm here, and I get to vote. And you, you're not here, or you are here, but you're not enough. Not there's not enough of you to disagree with me. So, I get to vote. Now, um, it's uh, so. 
And, and uh, it's you raised the point, which is also good, and the courts have looked at this. I, I, I was, it was a good point. I followed it up. Uh, when it does zone, if zoning impacts other people outside the city, is it, is it, uh, you know, can it be changed by the courts because it's unfair? And the answer is yes, to some degree. But let's look at the consequence. I, I was I was looking at um, this uh, same uh, kind of. Um, Bid rent theory. Uh, you talked about the indifference curve. The, it's called isoquant in economics. Iso is same, quant is number. Uh, and uh, the uh, you're right. It's uh, you can. There's this trade-off. Let's look at Paris. I was looking at Paris, and the isoquant, uh, uh, the indifference curve, fits very beautifully there, with uh, one little kind of uh, tilt. That is, if you Paris is kind of circular. Uh, and uh, the center part is the most expensive, and the, uh, you know, as you get outer, uh, get out from the center, it gets less expensive. But the western uh, part is far more expensive, and that's got all those houseman's buildings everyone associates with Paris, 19th century Paris. If you, uh, it's, and because of that, it's because it's more expensive. People with more money uh, are the ones who live there, and they typically. Money and education are related, so they uh, very very closely. So they, the schools are quote better because the parents stress education, uh, and uh, so if you said, well, uh, this is un- unfair to keep people out just because you want to keep, uh, you know, keep it to yourself. Well, what would you have to do? Well, you'd have to tear down all these houseman nice buildings and put up concrete twenty-story buildings. Well, now it's not very attractive. Why would you want to even be there? So you have this thing of like. Um, you know, I was and I was looking around this campus. I got here a little early, earlier, and I was thinking, this is a really nice campus. I, I, I was I discovered some parts I hadn't seen before. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to this chapel you have here. It's, oh yeah, Memorial yeah. Church, beautiful yeah. place. It is. It's wonderful. Uh, and my my uh, my wife is um, uh, one of uh, takes a kind of call so called course in uh, choral music where she can and anyone else who wants to um, can be in the choir and they sometimes have performances there and you and it's undemocratic because uh, not everyone who wants to get into Stanford can do it uh, if you change that if you say okay we're going to fix that we're going to put up a lot of uh, buildings that will allow more people in you're going to run into a couple of problems one is uh, first of all you destroy the beauty of the campus with all these ugly uh, 10-story concrete classroom buildings and, and dorms but the other thing is there's only so many really world-famous professors to go around. Uh, you're going to have to start bringing in people who are not only not world-famous, but they're not uh, they're kind of like so-so, you know. There's all kinds of PhDs, some like really brilliant, some like work hard. Uh, and uh, you're going to ha- uh, and so now you have, uh, then what will happen is then the uh, really top-notch professors will have all, far more students trying to get into the class. The dimin- the, you diminish the quality of that experience. So, um, you, and you might as well call it Palo Alto City College. It's now just another college. So you have, uh, not everyone can get everything they want, and you make trade-offs. You want to work really hard, get top SATs, you know, you know, work with uh, you know, migrant children in Bolivia or something, and uh, you, know, you get into Stanford, and you have a different experience than someone who went to San Jose State. And not necessarily better. It's different. That's all you. I, I, um, you know, my experience. I'm old enough to to have formed some opinions about how most people get what they want. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, people that really, really want to be rich, 
do what they can and they do what they have to and they get really rich. And other people say, I'd like to be rich, but I go like, no, you didn't. No, you don't. You, you became a teacher. Teachers don't get rich. You know, what you want, what, you know, what you'd like is not to have to worry about the next uh, mortgage payment. Uh, and uh, so, and, and it's, it's a different, you know, uh, experience do you really want to be rich? Well, no. If you were really, really rich, a billionaire, do you even know if anyone likes you? I mean, of course they're nice to you because you're a billionaire, you know, and uh, they're going to say whatever you want to hear. Uh, the most people don't. They want to be have a nice, comfortable life as a teacher, accountant, a radio podcaster or something and... Yeah. I think the general notion that, that you're saying that most people get what they want, mm. saying that people basically, if you are not living a good life, you've basically made mistakes or you deserve it, is kind I, of the implication mm. of that, of saying, oh, all you need was a little more, you know, you know, you know, take your bootstraps out, lift yourself up, and you're going to get there. And I would say there's a there is systematic reasons that actually make it very hard for people not to get what they want. There have been laws in the past that have been explicitly discriminatory, and I think today we have laws that, in my mind, are discriminatory against lower class people. When you say we have basically exclusionary policies of single-family homes only in places like Palo Alto, you know, in a lesser extent, all the way down to Sunnyvale, I think that is saying, you know, if you aren't well-to-do or if you haven't been here for decades, sorry, we have no room for you. And that, to me, is against, I guess, what I believe is an inherent right for mobility. I think we should make our cities open for everybody and not say, I prefer to keep, you know, low-traffic and low density, I'd say, no, we should do whatever we can, even if it makes it, in some people's minds, a little uglier, say, no, there's room for you. And I think that's what I really believe we have a moral obligation for. Well, yeah, okay, you can believe that all you want. Uh, trouble <laughs> is getting it passed. Uh, you know, the streets were built uh, for in Palo Alto for, to be, for a sleepy college town with nice little, you know, Places where you know friends could come over and park their car and visit you. Uh, you'd have to, uh, and uh, Sunnyvale is even worse. It was built as a, a kind of bedroom community in the I guess, 60s uh, mostly, uh, and um, so you have all these little cul-de-sacs and, and streets that uh, go nowhere, like I live on, and it's it's a one-block street. It it just there's no reason to be on it unless you live there. Uh, and that's what people want because they want to. They don't want to have a lot of traffic noise. They want their. They want to know that their kids uh, wander into the street to catch a ball. They're not going to get run over. Uh, and it's impossible uh, to run a good bus system, a good transit system through that. I talked with the VTA people. Uh, they they came to uh, Sunnyvale City Council and they were talking about it. It was pretty appalling how bad the um, bus buses are financially. They get they're at below nine percent fare recovery at this point, which means. Uh, you buy a $2 ticket and the county chips in 20 bucks. It would be cheaper to just give everyone a, a Uber uh, Lyft uh, voucher. And in some parts of the county, they do. Because it's just not, it's, they get, you get like a $6 voucher. Um, and most of that is the, uh, you know, it's not the buses themselves. It's the uh, 70% is the operations and maintenance. It's just uh, running them and maintaining them. Uh, and I, anyway, so I said, well, is there any way we can do this, uh, you know, get better at this? And he said, no. Uh, in Sunnyvale, uh, you'd have to raise the whole, whole whole city. You'd have to completely tear down everything else and make nice little grid lines with four-lane, you know, streets, you know, two in each direction. Uh, and, you know, no parking on, on a rush hour like they do in Van Ness and San Francisco. Uh, 
uh, and no one's going to do that. You know, you can't if you don't do that. You just put up high rises, period. I, people will not get in and out. And at some point, builders won't build because they say, you know, <laughs> no one wants to live here because the traffic's so bad. And that's what happens. Happens is, the, you know, that we're back to like at some point, the number of people who want to move in equals the number of people saying, I can't stand it uh, anymore. Uh, so you there's uh, you and you you can't just build up without saying. Okay, what? How do we get people in and out? That transit, you yeah. You look at um, urban economics and geography, and you find that transit is just key. You know, everything focuses on how you get goods and people in and out. And moving goods is uh, about is is a huge portion of the thing. It's not uh, of the problem. It's not just people. Uh, So you you know uh, the the Alonzo model. talked about that. Uh, um, The Von Thunen model of 1826 talked about the old central city, and Alonzo modified that by, uh, and with with the advent of modern transit and roads and stuff, you started to get business districts, which could, uh, you know, factories and stuff, could set up outside the immediate periphery of the central business district where the trains were, because they could could use trucks, either to get it down to the train depot or just to get it to another city. Uh, So, that's when you uh, that's when you start to get. It. What you see is that cities started emptying out. Uh, they um, most cities in the East Coast, west east of the Mississippi, uh, like St. Louis and Chicago and stuff. They peaked in 1950s. Everyone got out of World War you know, Two, you know, went to got the GI Bill, got a job, and they got cars. <laughs> you know, America had been sort of car centric, but they, uh, you didn't hit real saturation till um, till later. And they they want, got what they wanted, which was they got a car and they moved to the suburbs where they had more space. Uh, and that's uh, so you uh, you have once they have more space. If you say, well, okay, I want to live in your space, and because of fairness and stuff, we're going to put up high-rise buildings right next to you. What'll happen is they'll move out further. You'll get even you'll get sprawl upon sprawl, and that's one of the problems with um, this. Um, this idea that if we build densely, it'll be better for greenhouse gases. You'll have fewer cars going back and forth. Well, that's true uh, if you can get people to stay dense. But when you when you build an apartment um, and a whole bunch of apartments in, say, Palo Alto, people in Palo Alto are going to say, well, this is what I bargained for. And they will go somewhere else. It <laughs> may, not, may not even be in California, but they will go somewhere else where they can have what they want, which is a single-family house with a front and backyard and nice, quiet streets. So you are simply moving the problem one from one place to another. And why would you even... Okay, here's my question. I really do not understand this. Why would you want to be in Palo Alto if it looks like Hong Kong? I mean, part of the charm is that nice, quiet college town feel. I would say, one, uh, I would say when I went to Hong Kong, it's, I've, I've been outside the country, yeah, I, I guess I uh, went there in uh, 2016, and I went away with the idea, how could you not want to live here? Because I could get around pay uh, the equivalent of 25 cents, take a world-class subway and get to all parts of the town. I could take escalators that are outside that take me everywhere. I can take these trolley cars you jump up and down that run continuously at all times and are just incredibly convenient. And there is dense places everywhere of every type. I feel like around here, there you have to drive a ton to get anywhere. And like like a record store I used to like, like they're all shutting down. There's not a record store in the peninsula. Like it's just, I feel there's a dearth. It's like a sleepy commuter town that doesn't have anything. The only good thing is the Stanford theater in my mind, uh, in this entire area. 
And I want to be close to people I know and places I like, like KZSU, the radio station. And that's really what I would prefer. And I think the key is in America, if there's people like me who said, you prefer that, I can't get it. If there are people who say, I want suburbs, they get it. And then there's people who want the first thing or push in the second because we basically mandate through laws that really we only have suburbs throughout the entire United States. Most people live in something very close to single-family zoning, which isn't the case in most other areas in the world. Well, um, yes and no. Um, okay, I've been to Hong Kong a couple of times uh, and for two weeks each, um, the long time ago. Uh, I had a different feeling than you did. Um, I... Um, to me, it was a terrible city. I, I was in the Navy, uh, and uh, uh, but I was I was always the type that wanted to see the museums and the countryside and the you know the old culture of Japan or Taiwan or whatever it was. Uh, and I got to uh, you know got to Hong Kong. It was world famous. I was, took a all day tour, and um, you know for me the most fascinating parts were the older parts of, parts of Kowloon. And at that time, um, you know, I'm showing my age. I was the Walled uh, City. Uh, no, it wasn't that walled <laughs> at the time. It was just a city, uh, but I mean, it was it was a it was a Chinese city. It, you know, you walk up and down, and you felt like this is Chinese China. Uh, it, it was you know moderate size, high rise, you know, like five six stories, but uh, probably walk ups, and uh, you know, kind of crowded, a lot of signs and everything, and and uh, it felt this is China. And I got to the border with uh, uh, what was then, uh, you know, with Communist China, and what, it's uh, Shenzhen Province. And at the time, it was farms and fields, uh, rice paddies. It's all built up now, and as a result, it is the most expensive part. And you talk about Hong Kong, and you like it, but I have to point out, it is the most expensive city in the world by most standards. Uh, half the people who live there are um, on some sort of, uh, you know. Subsidized housing, which tells you how expensive it is. Half the people are subsidizing the other half to live there. Otherwise, they couldn't, wouldn't have anyone to work the coffee shops and stuff. So, you know, okay, you can get that if you like that. It's not going to make it cheaper, though. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about the beginning. Densification isn't enough. If you want densification, you need land reform. And I think one thing we core, like a central core we disagree on is, if I had to say, it seems that you kind of say there's economic reasons why things couldn't get better. I tend to say we can look at things that are economically going to change and modify based upon man-made rules. And I think a lot of things that are bad around here and other places are bad because of the way we administer our markets. They aren't really a fact of nature. If you talk about things like we can't have transit, it doesn't make sense here, it won't pay for itself, fare box is low, you can look at things such as man-made laws, such as minimum parking requirements. And that makes a big difference in what gives people preferences, whether to take subsidized, free personal automobiles or to take transit. And no one chooses to take transit if you subsidize cars. Uh, and I think for the same thing, you talk about land, you know, we basically pay a lot for land. You can you pay a lot for land if you buy a house in Sunnyvale. You pay about $2 million. You pay a lot if you rent in Hong Kong because you're still paying for the luxury of a landlord saying, hey, this is what you pay to live here, we could change this. We could actually enact land taxes that say, you know, if you are delivering a land rent, this is something you say in your blog entirely, if you densify, land rents go up, we could take those land rents and put them back in infrastructure. And this is what economics have said since Adam Smith, uh, through David Ricardo, through Milton Freeman, through Joseph Stiglitz, uh, 
this is really the solution to urban economics, and we're not moving towards it. And we could. Well, uh, okay, even New York City, which has the best fare recovery in the country, is uh, roughly 50% fare recovery. Uh, and um, there are two, a couple of cities, like uh, London, uh, where um, fi- they actually make money uh, on, on their public transit. Hong Kong, too. That's a notable yeah, place. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, but you, you, you get a, um, you know, it's what you want. Uh, if, if you want the density of Hong Kong, uh, you, yeah, there's, let's say that you, uh, we elect you supreme dictator of the United States. Well, thank you. Uh, and uh, you, you say, okay, I'm going to put up a ton of high rises in Palo Alto and you guys can like it or lump it. Well, they will lump it and they will simply um, move somewhere else. And they say, well, I don't like that. I'm going to uh, densify there. What? Uh, and at some point, people are going to say, "I've had it with you. You are out of office, uh, one way or another." Uh, and the uh, uh, you, you, you can say all you like about what economic incentives are, but you can't. People have that um, unquantified or difficult to quantify preference. And you, if uh, the reason, for example, that uh, European cities are, are um, I mean, there are you have a lot of logic behind you. I'm not denying that. Uh, but what you have to deal with, though, is people's preferences. And, and uh, the governments and cities exist for people, not people for the cities and government. So uh, people f- choose how they want to live. And whether you like it or not, they choose a certain way. Now, you like Hong Kong. I don't. I thought after the first one-day tour, I walked around a little, and there was shopping, and that was about it. And now it's it's built up even more than I would ever see. I end up staying on a ship. You can't in the navy. You can, no, do not want to be on a ship. You're on. You're stuck on there for months at a time. And when you get to land, you want to get off. The fact that I stayed on that ship for a week, uh, just wandering off to get uh, lunch or something, and it uh, tells you something about how I feel personally about Hong Kong. You live it. I go like, I don't want to live here. I would only say though that. Suburbs are not going away. You want suburbs, go out to, you know, Kansas, Nebraska, and, like, there's always going to be, you know, low-density living. Low-density is always going to be possible. High-density is only possible when, one, the, the environment is right, and, two, when it's legal. And the Bay Area, when you have, you know, basically plots of land selling for $2.7 million in, in Palo Alto, it seems to imply... Boy, you have a once in a million chance to densify. You know, if you want to do it, do it. And we say no, which means in aggregate, the entire country saying we want zero new dense areas. And that's what we always Mm -hmm. say. So in general, if you ask everyone in the country, what do you want? You people would say, I think we should have some high density, but we have zero. And I think this is due to the fact we have local control only, which says that even the people in the center of it, they have as you know all the say. And someone who says, you know what, I think next to the strongest economy in the world, there should be a lot of housing, and I'd like to move there. They don't get a say. And I think we should override local control when local control seems to be self-serving and only serving a very small benefit of a limited number of people instead of basically the common good of what people want in aggregate in in the in the region in the state in the country in the world uh, you you're you're uh, you make a uh, okay you make a logically coherent argument uh, but you're forgetting the golden rule uh, then that has the gold makes the rules and uh, the people with money 
okay, yeah, there. Okay, here's my solution to your problem, uh, which is we we uh, we tell all these big. Uh, super duper uh, companies like Google and Facebook and Apple and Netflix. You know what, guys? If you can open an office in India, you can open R and D in Indiana. Uh, Purdue is a great university. So is uh, you know, so is Madison. Uh, so is Ann Arbor. Uh, and in fact, if um, I'm looking at uh, Amazon setting up their HQ2, uh, and there's you know. Was I, I forget they're down to 20 cities that are falling all over themselves uh, to get that density. And now Apple, uh, I mean Amazon is, is saying we'll, we're going to bring in 50,000 jobs, paying a good you know, average hundred thousand a year. 50,000 jobs for every uh, all the research shows for every job you know like in tech, in tech that you bring in, there's there's four other jobs coming up. You know, doctors, lawyers, teachers, uh, auto mechanics, uh, you know, baristas. Uh, so you you bring in fifty thousand jobs. That's bringing in another um, was it, total of a hundred. Um, was it uh, five uh, five times that two hundred fifty thousand jobs uh, t- uh, with all the subsidiary two hundred fifty thousand jobs. Each each uh, employed person is part of a two point five unit f- uh, uh, household. So that's uh, uh, two hundred uh, two hundred fifty thousand jobs times two point five. You're talking a big city. And yet, and you ha- you will have to build dense now. Columbus, Ohio, in, uh, per, uh, Indianapolis are all they're all in their container. You know, you might find that you get you get your high rise back in your home state, uh, but uh, but they're falling all over themselves to get that. Atlanta's like and Dallas and and you know Ohio, uh, um, I mean uh, Columbus and uh, Boston, they all desperately want this. Uh, and I, so it's not true. I think that. Uh, we have no density and that no one wants density. Yes, 70, 80% of people want that single family house, which means the other 20, 30% are fine with condos and town. And that's what you get in a place like New York City, a metro area of 20 million people. And you get, you know, what's 30% of uh, 20 million? It's what, um, six, uh, six million. Six million people live in apartments and condos and townhouses and, and high rises. Um, uh, largely in New York, but also, I mean, there are apartments in Hempstead, Long Island and stuff. So uh, you, you'll you get that mix. You want high, Chicago has high rises. Um, and I, I lived in Chicago for a while. I, I, the, there are many charms of Chicago. Weather is not the first one that comes to mind. Yet I know people that say they, they grew up in L.A., they worked in the Bay Area for a while, and they say, oh, I love Chicago. The weather's great. And I was like, really? Good for you. <laughs> it, I don't so, agree. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, but so there's something for everyone, and if you want high rise, high rise density, uh, or if you want to live in Palo Alto next to your friends and everything, you can get that, and we can still maintain it. If you get Google, Apple, Facebook to do the Amazon thing, I uh, get the hell out of here because I talk to Google uh, Googlers all the time that say I'm from like Virginia or you know Ohio. I would love to be back there. I only get to see my family. I've got this darling little kid. My husband and I want to. You know, I have to you know wait for a train. I mean, for a, a plane on Thanksgiving uh, to you know hope there's a not a snow out in Chicago, a transfer to uh, um, airport in, in Virginia so my, my parents can see our kids and we can, they would love to be the hell out of here and that would free up space for you. But here is the thing is it's not just here. I don't think the Bay Area is fundamentally worse than other things other than some particularly bad laws like Prop 13 in my mind that don't, that serve bad purposes. But I do think that any place based upon the incentives we have in place 
it makes it very hard to grow past a certain point. Ever since zoning started being a thing, it's very, very difficult to grow densely and to create infrastructure past a certain point. And if you say, oh, well, let's give up in the Bay Area, let's go to Columbus, Columbus will reach a point where it says, okay, we've hit our capacity and we're hitting artificially low capacities due to, I think, not very smart and I'd say self-serving, immoral man-made laws. And I guess earlier when I say, I think the Bay Area, there's a lot of good reasons to believe it's fair if it gets denser. And you say, well, fairness doesn't matter if you have the gold, you know, it's all about... And I think if that's the only excuse is like, well, those who have power know they're wrong. I'd say people believe when they go to city council and say, stop this development, they believe they're right. And I think there's a reason to say that they, if they can't convince themselves that they're in the right, they wouldn't be able to live with themselves. I don't think we could have a, a nation of evil people who do things only for their own personal uh, greed in our communities. I think we need communities that feel they're doing a fair thing. Well, uh, you're okay. We ultimately come down to um, democracy. And this is the, where the conversations I've had with others. And by the way, I want to thank you very much for allowing me to converse with you about because I don't get to interact with most people. Uh, I get emails saying, no, council member, you got to approve this uh, new high-rise. And I say, you know, great. I, I'd love to talk about this with you. I, by the way, here's a couple of blogs. You don't have to read them, but you know, you can, I never hear from them again. I ping them again saying, didn't you want to get together? No. So I want to thank you for, for allowing me to uh, interact with you. Uh, but ultimately, we come down to democracy. And uh, you might be right, and I might agree with you, but it doesn't matter because the majority of people want it this way, and they live here, and they vote. Uh, and I do think that one thing is that I disagree with is that uh, if you build dense, there's some way, uh, some economic mechanism to keep the rents low other than direct subsidy, which is like like Hong Kong, because I just don't see it. I, I look around at all these cities, and if you do a rent map of Paris or London or New York, Dallas, you get the same thing. It is expensive in some areas and and not in others. And if you build denser, it would be cheaper. But then you'd have to, you know, then those people would move. You could make Carmel really cheap with a lot of uh, uh, junky uh, cement high rises. Why would you want to do that? But you know, if you did, everyone in Carmel would move down the coast a little. And well, well, this is above your pay grade to get, basically <laughs> solve to solve as a Sunnyvale City Council person. Right. But the, I mean, I would say. If we really look at the urban economics and say, how do we solve it? And you talk about with direct subsidy, that's one way mm. to, to solve it, but we can't afford it. Mm. How do places afford it? And this is, I guess, something that uh, we're talking about, how do you afford making transit better? Uh, the British economist Barbara Ward came to the Bay Area in the 60s, and she went to San Rafael and looking at the BART when it was opening. Mm. And she was saying, when they opened the Erie Canal, much of it was paid for through taxes on lands it enhanced. Mm. And this is classically a sustainable way to, to basically pay for mm. infrastructure. And if you did that to BART, they would have billions of things you could do to make BART better, to pay for, keep it sustainable. And instead, if you don't do value capture, it goes into private you know, hands of landowners. And this is both you know, people who own valuable city property and also people who have valuable suburban property who are making you know, uncounted millions through this. And I would say it's if people just want cities that are sustainable, can pay for things we need to make the urban economics work, and the way you get affordable housing and sustainable development of infrastructure is through value capture, 
and I think we need to push for it. And I think if you talk about urban economics, I think you need to take value capture more seriously. Well, you have to uh, determine what you value. Uh, the people in um, Marin County would not particularly value having a BART line there. They they opposed uh, the Golden Gate Bridge when it was first proposed because they knew what would happen, which is what happened, that it would start to develop, and they like it rural. Uh, and you have you, you end up with, again, uh, are you, do, you know, by what right do we get to impose on people uh, a, a change to their the way they live when they've been there? Uh, at some point, you're you know you, so you have two two rights in conflict. You, your right to you, what you feel your right to live where you want uh, and at affordable what you consider affordable, and someone else's right to have, maintain the the uh, pleasantness of where they live. I mean, maybe they grew up there, or maybe they moved there, and that this was their heaven, and and you want to uh, spoil it. Well, how do we decide that? Well, you take a vote, and it's um, you know I was pretending uh, making fun of the golden rule, but I ultimately come down to democracy. This is what people want. By the way, this is, I have to mention, uh, one of the things that arguments that you didn't bring up, which comes up all the time, is like, if it were denser, there'd be fewer cars and there'd be less pollution. What um, a Berkeley professor, um, you know, very, very high, high up in IPCC chair of a whole bunch of subcommittees found in his research was if you build denser, the, uh, you, you, you get more sprawl. That is, you put up more high-rises in the central city, more people move to the suburbs. Uh, so you lose on, and the overall result is actually worse than if you just chose some farm field and built a city, new city there. And he said the worst thing you can do for, for the, in terms of greenhouse gas emissions is uh, take a suburb like Palo Alto, it's suburban, and uh, make that dense because then the suburbs get suburbs. And then the, the protected lands to the to the west and and uh, the uh, hills to the east and, and Fremont will get populated, and you have worse uh, worse traffic. So you you can't get around that because people will want to live where they want to live. There's an assumption there that there's an infinite pool of people who are going to crowd in, and at a certain point, if you create more density, a higher percentage of people will live in higher density. The impression you have there is you build more density, a higher percentage will live in low density, which is, I no, think... you'll get the same percentage. You'll get, uh, as I said, roughly um, 30, 20 or 30 percent will accept higher density, and the other 70, 80 percent will move. If you, yeah. if you make people pay for what it actually costs to make suburbs in the places they want less people would actually willing to do it because we make them artificially cheap through subsidies. If And I think this is something we talk about with democracy. I didn't vote for Prop 13. It happened years before I was born. But Prop 13 basically makes value capture illegal in California. And it basically subsidizes existing homeowners saying, you know what, you don't have to pay for infrastructure. We'll basically, you can pay a smaller and smaller amount every year and in real terms. And this is this is fine and they're essentially free riders, and they basically voted to say, we don't have to pay taxes anymore, in a certain sense. Well, Which, And I'd say that is a weird way to say democracy works if you say, hey, democracy and my children will pay the bills for infrastructure in the future, and I will get the benefits, and by the way, I can sell my house for $2 million, and that's just pure profit to me. Which, to me, is the limit of democracy when you basically are selling off the future for your personal Profit. Well, the, okay. I wasn't around when, uh, in California when Prop 13 happened either. Um, the, but I, in looking into it, what I found was that uh, you know you had uh, it's just endless newspaper stories of sweet little old ladies and school teachers being kicked out of their 
home for uh, 20 years because property taxes were just skyrocketing because their home value was skyrocketing. And what Prop 13 did uh, was it, it didn't stop value capture. It just delayed it. On average, it's about seven years for a house to turn over. I, that may, I may be a little out of date, but that's rough. And so what you, uh, so it is true. It's a form of rent control for, for homeowners. Uh, and, uh, but like all rent control, uh, the new people pay more, and the older people, the older residents pay less. But then it's there's turnover. People move, the people die, uh, and uh, the you know, and and you get that value capture. It's just you're just delaying it for a certain time. But at in, a certain in, point, you get less turnover because, boy, I'm not going to sell my house because I can't afford to live here. I mean, what what would it take <laughs> you to sell your house? You wouldn't do it. Well, I would uh, for for a couple of reasons. First of all, people overestimate property. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Um, Oh, you got uh, capital gains tax, uh, federal gains tax, property gain, yeah, capital gains, long-term capital gains is 15 to 20 percent, depending on your income bracket. So if you're retired, your income is pretty low. Uh, you probably get in the lower end, maybe 10 percent. You know, you sell a two million dollar house, which you probably paid, uh, you know, 200 thousand for, you know, back in the I don't know the eight early 80s, late 70s, uh, and you you uh, you know you you get. I don't know, let's say $2 million profit, uh, capital gains, you're going to pay 10%, 200000 you know, you're crying all the way to the bank. Uh, the the only different thing is you'll not, if you stay and move in California, you're going to have, uh, you know, have to pay, um, in most counties, uh, who opted out of the, I think, Prop 90, uh, kind of uh, equal property tax. You'd have to pay a huge property tax to get equivalent. Well, you're retired. You don't care about equivalent. You don't want to take care of the backyard anymore. You don't, your kids are grown. Uh, you, you're happy with a condo a townhouse. Or you just move to Oregon or Texas or something where, um, you know, they don't, where a, a lot of states agree with you. You know, they don't have, uh, uh, Washington doesn't have, um, I call it income tax. You know, uh, Jeff Bezos and and uh, Bill Gates made sure of that, but they uh, they didn't have it for it before either. They they are saying property tax is most of the way we want to go with sales tax. You know, uh, but um, and so you're you're not. It's not like you're wrong, uh, but ultimately people will say, well, my property tax is too high and I don't want that. So you still are, you're up against democracy now. Prop 13 may be unfair in some sense, but people have made the judgment. I don't want little old ladies and school teachers kicked out uh, of their, you know, long-term house because they have established, they have friends, they have, you know, the family doctor and all that good stuff. If they're homeowners, if they're renters, oh, well, who cares? yeah, I mean, well, rent, yeah, rent control. I'm all for for rent control. If it's fair enough for um, what do you call it, uh, homeowners, it's good enough for renters too. Uh, you have the same thing. Um, you know, you have um, renters. Uh, you know. You always read about the you know wounded war veteran who's been in the same apartment for twenty years and kicked out. Well, that's because it's you know man by stock. Most renters don't stay uh, more than two years. Seven, three years, you've got seventy percent turnover. Uh, I was in one place, a big complex in Cupertino, for three years. When I left, they said you were the longest resident we ever had, and the place had been there thirty years. <laughs> so, uh, so there's a huge turnover, and yeah, I'm all for for rent control. The problem, but you have the same sort of problem. That is, uh, you have you're you're shifting the burden of of the rent uh, from. Uh, the person, you know, from the person who's there to the person who's coming, and that's just the way it is. And we have a form of rent control, and what in this kind of uh, thing where we we tell builder you have to allocate ten or fifteen or twenty percent for for below market rate housing. You know, divided into very low income, low income, and uh, moderately low income. Uh, yeah, they, he's got to charge someone else more, and that's the way it is. Uh, society makes a judgment that says, okay. 
we don't want uh, baristas to have to commute from Gilroy, uh, and uh, so we, we will subsidize the rent, but we won't do it directly. We'll do it indirectly with the builder who will then charge rent more. I mean, I think you talk about rent control. What would, I mean, for rent control for homeowners or for renters, what do economists say is bad about it? They say if you have rent control, you don't have enough supply. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have every incentive and you see it happening with Prop 13. We don't have enough supply because you don't see people basically with the same urgency who are already here in determining laws to create more supply. I mean, I think at a certain level, if you get a subsidy in rent control, you could say maybe you should give up things because you enjoy a very great privilege. You enjoy a privilege of saying, you know, you have house security. Now, I think be able to share it. Don't complain too much if there's a shadow in part of your lawn. Mm. And, and people don't. They say, I have a great privilege, and because I am very, very secure. I'm going to complain more and more and demand the best. I think it's it's kind of the classic spoil a kid problem. The more you spoil them, the more they demand. Well, okay, the problem. Okay, this this ties in with the NIMBY uh, thing. The the whole idea of not in my backyard ties in with I want to benefit, but I don't want to pay the the price. That is, I want to have uh, oil for my car, but I want the refinery to be stuck in someone else's neighborhood. Uh, and there there that is a that's why it's a pejorative term. It's unfair. Uh, but what what I see mostly is like, hey, I didn't tell Apple to build that stupid spaceship. You know, I you know that's jacked up my property values, but I'm not getting any benefit from it. They they're cutting through my neighborhood to get to the head, stupid headquarters, uh, so I'm getting the penalty and I'm not getting any benefit. So uh, I didn't ask, I didn't want my house to become two million bucks. I wanted it to just be a place to live, and that's what most people want. They don't want the they want the mortgage, a nice steady mortgage, slight increase in property tax, which which we get. I, it's two percent a year, I think, and so I paid double the property tax I did when I bought the house. Uh, if you were in Ohio, you'd probably wouldn't even pay double because uh, Ohio um, pro property taxes are pretty flat, like the housing prices. So um, you're getting people being asked to pay a penalty when they didn't, aren't getting it. They, they don't see the benefit, and they didn't ask for it. No, no one comes to me. No, no voter comes to me and says, "Please put up more offices." They say, "Please don't put up more apartments," or they may say, "Put up more apartments." I feel unfair. But no one. So, uh, but my, how many people live here benefit from the strong economy? And many people they have good jobs because economy. Even people been for a while, they benefit from the strong economy around them. If nothing else, it's a great cash flow to pay for public infrastructure when you have things like well, this. Well, yeah, but remember, not everyone not everyone wants to be here. That, that, that people are here to a large degree for the jobs. They, as I said, I talk to Googlers all the time and, and Facebook people. The average median income and medium salary, I'm told, in Facebook is over 200000 So you get two Facebook employees making uh, 200 and 250 uh, They can afford it, and that's why it's so expensive. And they will... They aren't. They aren't saying, "Gee, I want a condo uh, in in uh, San Francisco." Some some are, but most are saying, "I always want a single family house. And I want to be able to walk to work." So they will outbid you for a little thing that you are, because you you don't make that money and you don't have a spouse making that much money, uh, and that's the way it goes. It's called bid rent, and you know you've seen it. And there's isoquant indifference curves, uh, and you can't get past that. You you talk about they get a benefit. They didn't ask for it. They want to be home in Virginia with their family. And Google is saying, no, we want everyone within reach because the CEO wants to talk to the CFOs and they want to talk to the senior vice presidents and they want to be able to – everyone wants to be every, everyone else to be in reach. And you get to the worker bees and they're going like, I'm here. You know, what am I going to do? It's a good salary. They pay me – and as long as Google is making so much money, I mean, 
they have the re revenue of IBM with uh, one-fourth the number of employees. So their revenue per employee is astronomical. They can afford it. And uh, Facebook, too. Uh, as long as that keeps happening, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have this, uh, you know, uh, irresistible force and, and uh, immovable object happening because people aren't, you know, you can, I talk to people at the extreme end of the Yimbies. They want to pave, they want to blacktop the bay, basically. They they say, they, you know, the South Bay, south of Oakland is not that deep, five, six feet. You could fill it in. That was the plan at one time uh, back in the, I don't know, 50s or so. Uh, the Army Corps of Engineers had, there was going to be, the bay south of Oakland was going to be a little more like a small little trickle. And every and because and that in a strictly economic sense that makes makes sense. Uh, you have more land to build on. It's easy to build on flat land and it's easy access. Uh, people made a decision. They said my utility includes having a bay, which is still a bay, and restoring it. And, it's a, and so we got and people paid for a benefit that they're willing to pay for. They're not willing to pay for, or or in. Uh, the benefit of having Google here because they didn't ask Google to stay here. They didn't ask Google to expand like crazy. They didn't ask for that stupid spaceship. Most, if Steve Jobs basically, uh, Steve Jobs basically put a gun to the head of this Cupertino City Council by saying, if you don't allow me to put this spaceship here, I'm going to move the headquarters to Mountain View. And uh, Cupertino gets 30% of their revenue from um, uh, uh, Apple's business-to-business uh, -business, uh, sales tax. They're not going to do that. So uh, if, that's why I keep saying it's not so much the people. They, yeah, they are benefiting, but they didn't ask for that. You know, they'd be perfectly happy if, if you know, they just went relatively flat, you know, kind of kept up with inflation. So you're asking people who are, uh, who are benefiting but didn't ask for it to, to suffer something that they didn't bargain for. What will happen is they'll move. They'll simply say, I'm out of here. And they move all the time. I talk to people who have been here 20, 30 years, raise their kids, and they're moving to Phoenix because they just can't stand anymore. And they have good good jobs. They can afford it. Uh, but they just, like, traffic's impossible. I, I don't want to leave, uh, you know, get on the freeway anytime between, you know, uh, uh, you know other than, like, between 10 and, and 2. So, you know, you end up with, you will get your high-rise housing. It may not be here, though. And if it's not here, it's because the majority of people here said no. So I, I feel we're wrapping now, and I, big picture, to people like me who feel things aren't good, things could be better, we could change things to make them better, such as you know creating value capture. Uh, what do you what do you say? I would say um, good luck. <laughs> uh, run a campaign. I've run one. I ran. Uh, it was I was actually trying to get a measure passed to preserve parklands. Uh, and open space in Sunnyvale. And to get that more publicity, I ran for city council. I did not expect to win. I would have preferred the initiative win, and I lost. But uh, you can. Uh, my my feeling is, if and, and this is growing, I hear a lot of other people saying, before you put up an office, you have to have guarantee that there is assigned living space being put up for that. So you put up an office that holds like a thousand people or like Apple's campus, 10,000 people. You'd better, uh, you have to, you can't do that. You can't put one brick on top of another until you have uh, found assigned housing within like 10 mile radius 
I, that would that would equalize things. Now it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be something. It would be, and I, I'd be happy with that. I think everyone else would be happy with it too, because what we have is uh, the develop the uh, Apple, Google, Facebook, uh, you know, Netflix. So say we're hiring ten thousand people. The builders aren't going to build for people that aren't here. By and from even if we approved it instantly, even if there were no zoning, you're always going to be a day late and a dollar short on that. In fact, you're going to be two years late and and many dollars short because you're never going to catch up. So you know. I'm looking for, you know, it's getting time to, for the boom cycle to end. Uh, all the indicators are it's going to end like in, a, I don't know, a year or two. Who knows? Uh, if we just have a pause, the builders can catch up. Nationwide, this is happening nationwide. The conversation we're having is happening in Atlanta and everywhere else. Just the numbers are different. Instead of saying, oh, my God, it's $3,000 for, you know, one bedroom, people are saying, oh, my God, it's $1,000 for one bedroom, you know, uh, in Atlanta in, in, instead of here. Uh, and uh, so what's happening is uh, there was this great recession. You you may have heard of it. And build, a, a ton of builders just said, the hell, I'm out of here. I, I'm, I'm going to drive a truck or, or retire or you know, I talked to one guy when I was getting an X-ray. He, he used to build a roofer. He went, to, uh, had a couple of years of no work, and went to De Anza and got a, a degree in, uh, you know, a little associate degree in, in X-ray technology, and now he's happy. So there's a shortage of builders, and the new ones that are getting trained, they can't afford to live here, so they're moving to boom towns in Dallas and Atlanta. So you, you just, you're impatient because you want it Thursday. You'll get it. Uh, there'll be a recession. Housing prices will come down a little, maybe 20, maybe 20, 30 percent at most. I mean, the worst was the Great Recession, and that was a 27 percent drop. That was horrible. I do not want to. I don't think anyone wants to see that again. It was almost like the end of capitalist society or something. Uh, and uh, but you would get a drop, and mostly you'll get a pause. It might be a six-year pause, and then you'll start to earn more money and. You know, some rents will, you know, some of the older apartments will start to lower their rents a little bit and, you know, things will work out. But as long as you're adding employees, 10000 a swatch, and then it, it takes two years minimum to put up the housing firm, you're always going to be uh, short. It's just two with no way around it. I w if I could change it, everyone would have what they want, but life is a bunch of trade-offs. So in your mind, if people are blaming laws that are out there, do you think they're? Do you think that's not true? That any yeah, of they're, they're 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 focused on the wrong thing. They're they're patting the wrong end of the dog. Uh, the problem is your this hypergrowth. It's um, the roads can't keep up. The pu public transit can't keep up. Uh, the you know Caltrain is you know thirty percent over capacity on a lot of the routes. Uh, the uh, two thirty seven is packed. It's a parking lot. Uh, uh, it's you. You need time. The growth, growth, the kind of the area can adapt if growth were slower. But when Google's hiring ten thousand, twenty thousand in a year, who can build that fast? You know, and so and people do make trade-offs. They say, okay, I want to live. I have a great job in Sunnyvale or Mountain View, but I can't afford to live there. So I will commute from Gilroy, and they do that, and they are willing to do that. They don't like it. But they're making that trade-off because otherwise they could go to Akron, Ohio, and there are a bunch of software startups there. It's just a weird thing. In the, you know, in the history of economics, people say growth is good. The key mm. is growing the pie, making stuff for everybody. Mm. And we see things in the Bay Area. People fear growth because growth means there's less for a lot of people. Mm. And this is, this is, I think, odd, and I think it makes it to the case we need to rethink what growth means and mm. how to make growth work for everybody. Mm. I think some people, it sounds more like you would say, we need to make sure growth doesn't happen too quickly. I think I would say 
it's fine if growth happens quickly if we capture the value and give it back to everybody. And well, okay. I mean, um, good luck with that. Uh, as I said, <laughs> I. But even if you did, I. It takes it takes years to build the in, uh, uh, the BART lines and the train lines and the highways and the housing. Uh, and even if you wanted, even if everyone agreed with you that Hong Kong's a goal, uh, you're not going to get it overnight. Uh, New York's a great place. I love New York City. I, I started grade school in Manhattan, uh, and I liked visiting it. But it took hundreds of years for them to get their 22 bridges and their their uh, you know the Long Island Railroad's like 1860 or something. Uh, all that took uh, a hundred, a couple of hundred years, and we're looking at a couple of decades. Uh, we just, um, and I do think you really have to, uh, people really have to accept that geography, you know, the geographer said um, God meant San Francisco to be expensive. And I didn't understand what he meant until I looked at it. And I really, I compared it to Dallas and go like, oh my God, yeah, he's right. Uh, God is a, uh, this very gifted landscape architect and created this beautiful area. And there's, but there's no place to move. I mean, if you if you move four miles from the center of San Francisco, you get very wet, mostly. Uh, if you move four miles from the center of da Dallas, you got another house or 10 miles or something. But, you know, it's a combination. So you can be right and I can be right, but... But mostly blame God. <laughs> mostly this very gifted landscape architect yeah. is looking and saying, you know, you might be reaching a limit. Uh, growth, uh, growth, you know, Japan is losing population. They lost a million people a year the last three years. But their GDP per person is growing. And what's, you know what's happening is they're putting older people to work. Uh, people in their 60s and 70s are saying, you know, I didn't really want to retire with that gold watch when I was 60. Uh, I like working. It gets me out of the house, gives me a purpose. Uh, and, and we're very age, age discriminatory. Uh, a lot of, you know, you're over 40, over 50 in this area. You know, if you, the next layoff, you might as well leave. You're not going to get another mm -hmm. job here. Uh, but in the East Coast, you know, it's been stable. Like where I grew up, East Islip, I did a Google um, map or a Google a street view of my the street I grew up on, used to deliver newspapers. It's exactly the same. It's mm. like I stepped back in time. It was exactly the same. Every tree, every house was exactly the same. And it's fine. I looked at housing prices. They're good. You know, it's a kind of like, you know, uh, not teacher mechanic place was where uh, auto mechanic way, where it was the way it was when I grew up. But uh, it's more like, you know, um, you know, school principal or, or uh, you know, you know, super uh, supervisor, store uh, general manager or something place, but it's still nice. Yeah, you, you don't have to you, grow forever. You could, you could say there's a difference between East Islip and, and Palo Alto. Uh, you know, honestly, not that much in terms of ambiance. Mm, yeah, <laughs> we didn't have a university. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think. Uh, well, thank you very much. We've been talking to Michael Goldman of the Sunnyvale City Council. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for coming down here today. Uh, thank you very much. My pleasure. I was very honored. Yeah, you can find out uh, previous episodes of the show. Uh, find them and listen to them online at seethecat.org. This is a presentation of Case Issue Stanford.